few years ago, my grandparents were set to go on holiday to Cuba. My grandmother declared, decided that she actually didn't feel able to go, uh, not a few months beforehand. So, like the selfless grandson I am, I nobly volunteered to essentially go on a free holiday to Cuba. Now, the reason for the holiday was because my grandfather uh, is a keen fisherman, and Cuba was a great place to catch a particular type of fish that he wanted to catch. So the only um, condition of me going on the holiday with him was that I needed to learn how to fish, and I had never fished before in my life. So I was summoned um, to uh, rural Somerset to be given some lessons in a field, which was pretty obscure, trying to cast a fly. It was fly fishing, so trying to cast a fly in a field, learning how to do that, coping with the wind and so on. Uh, my grandfather very patiently showed me how to do it, but obviously I didn't really get to learn until we actually were out in Cuba. We alternated between being on the sea uh, one day and then on the river the other day. And on the river it was particularly hard because there's much less space uh, to be kind of casting your, 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 uh, your fly. Um, and there was one particular moment where I remember, because the river was quite narrow, there were bushes on either side, it was really easy to get your line, to get your fly at the end of the line, tangled up in the bushes, either when you cast behind you to go forward or when you actually did cast forward. And I was getting on all kinds of mess, I was getting tangled up. Uh, I wasn't very good at casting the line so it kind of drops flat and very gently on the water so it doesn't disturb the fish. So I was basically disturbing the fish. I was getting tangled up in, on both sides. Uh, I'd knocked over my grandfather's drink. Bearing in bearing mind this is a trip of a lifetime for him, he could have got so agitated with me. And yet he didn't. He was so patient. He so patiently untangled the, the line from the bushes. Uh, showed me how to do it again and again and again. He just showed me such patience. And we are in the middle of a teaching series called Vital Signs, if you're new here. And each week we're looking at a key vital sign, a key indicator of what it is to have a healthy spiritual heart, to have a healthy heart as a Christian. And this morning we want to look at what it is to have, what it is uh, that patience can tell us. Why is patience such a vital sign? Why is it such a key indicator? The Bible's clear that one of the vital signs that will indicate a healthy follower of Jesus is patience. And the Bible talks about patience an awful lot. Here are some examples. Uh, the, the Bible expects a Christian to be somebody who patiently bears with one another in love. Somebody who is patient with them all, meaning those that are faint-hearted and weak. Somebody who reproves, rebukes and exhorts but with complete patience. Somebody who patiently endures sufferings, patiently endures evil. A Christian with a healthy heart is somebody who can be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Somebody who can be patient until the coming, the returning of Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, maybe it's just me, but some of those things sound hard. Some of those ways of being patient sound really difficult. So my question, I think, initially is why is it that we love to be shown patience, as I did by my grandfather on the river, and yet we find it hard to be patient ourselves? And I want to suggest uh, that Christianity tells us that there is a beauty and a power to patience that it is possible to both receive and to give. Or to put it a different way, the big idea uh, this morning is this. Patience is hard, but patience is beautiful powerful and possible. Number one, patience is hard. Not least because in our modern world, in the West, we are getting pretty good at eliminating more and more things that we need to be patient for. Uh, 
So for example, we can now order food from Amazon Fresh today so that it arrives today. We don't have to go and buy or rent a film in a shop. We can watch it right now, as soon as we want. We can watch the whole box set right now if we want. We can just pay a little bit more money for a flight so that we can eliminate having to wait in the queue. And not only are we eliminating ways of having to be patient, I think we also find patience hard for other reasons. Maybe we fear patience in some respects. If I'm patient in a relationship or, or patient at work, will I get walked over or, or overlooked? Will I miss out? So our instantaneous culture is making patience a bit harder, but, but that said, humans have always found patience hard. And so what is therefore at the core of that part of the human condition? Proverbs chapter 14 verse 29 says, Whoever is patient has great understanding, but one who is quick-tempered displays folly. So there's something important to understand about what is behind our patience. And I guess therefore, something important to understand what's behind our impatience. And the Bible in different areas, I think, gives us a really important clue. Because if love is patient, which 1 Corinthians 13, 4 says, and patience is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, Galatians 5, 22, and the Holy Spirit is God, and God is love, 1 John 4, 8, then that, I think, does it not, helps us understand what is behind impatience, because patience is clearly inextricably linked with love. So therefore, impatience must come from the opposite of love. And the opposite of self-giving love is selfishness. Selfishness is what's behind impatience very often. Because fundamentally, we're all a little bit selfish, aren't we? Or at least, grant me, grant me this, we find it more natural or easier to love self than to engage in self-giving love. Yeah? When our, when our patience runs out and our anger or impatience flares up, often it's essentially because our will has been crossed. Whether that's because my coffee is not being served as quickly as I want, or I want my wife to, to understand and agree with my opinion. Impatience in those and many other scenarios is flaring up because the order of loves in my heart has me as primary, over and above a love for God and love for other people. And that's why patience is such a vital sign. It's an indicator of their health, uh, the order of loves. Of our heart. Now, sometimes, of course, it is more nuanced than this. So please hear me. If, if you have an intense desire, for example, for you're impatient in that sense, it's an intense desire for God to bring justice to bear where the marginalized uh, and oppressed suffer, that's good and God loves it. If you have an intense desire to see your friend find the love of God as they explore faith, that's good and God loves it. I'm not writing those kind of intense desires off um, just as selfish. But our response to the delay in some of these things, even though the best of things that we intensely desire, our response to the delay does tell us something about the health of our heart. So do we, on the one hand, grow kind of cross, maybe, or bitter with God or with people? A bit cynical, impatient in that sense? Or can we intensely desire and strive for these good things, and at the same time, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him? 
Psalm 37, 7. Can we, as the Apostle Paul instructs us, be patient in tribulation, patiently endure sufferings, patiently endure evil, whilst uh, strongly desiring a resolution to those things? So patience is hard. But patience is also beautiful, powerful and possible. Patience is beautiful. I'm, uh, I'm really enjoying visiting a different life group uh, each week. Life groups are our, our midweek groups where we gather together uh, to enjoy friendship and food and to, uh, to pray and study the Bible together and so on. And uh, this week I was with one of the Kingston groups and we got talking about this whole theme of patience. I was unashamedly doing a little bit of sermon research and we were talking specifically about why is it that patience is, is an attractive thing? Surely it's not just a... a, um, a, a a fundamental command. Surely there's, a, there's an attractiveness, a, a beauty to it. And Andrew Smith, who leads the group, told the story of how during his days as a school teacher, at the end of one academic year, one student who'd been pretty difficult by all accounts, he had some significant challenges that made him a significant challenge. At the end, of, before he left, the student came up to Andrew and thanked him that even though he'd been so difficult, and he knew he had, he thanked Andrew for the time Andrew had given to him to listen, to invest, to help and to support. And as we were talking about this story, we realised that this kind, of gets, <clears throat> this kind of got to the heart of the beauty of patience. Namely, that patience is when we make time for people. And of course, when someone makes time for someone else, whether it's our primary love language or not, that is a key way by which that person knows they are loved. So it's, it's Father's Day. Dads, I'm sure you know that children very often spell love, T-I-M-E, and, and actually all of us do to an extent. You see, Andrew's patience for this boy had made such an impact on him because the time at Costa himself had been invested communicated a value and a love to this boy. My grandfather's patience with me did the same thing. It showed me that he was prepared to give me time at cost to himself. It was inconvenient to him and that in turn communicated to me that he valued and that he loved me. <clears throat> Excuse me. One of the most famous descriptions of love that we have is, is the Apostle Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth. I, I refer to it just now from chapter 13. And whether you're uh, Christian or not, you've probably heard it read, maybe at, at weddings before. It's the famous passage where Paul describes love in all kinds of ways. He says that love is not envious, it's not rude, it is kind, it is enduring and so on. <clears throat> but what's the first word that Paul uses to help us get to the heart of what this utterly profound thing called love is? As he's writing, he's inspired by the Holy Spirit to write these words. What's the first word that comes to mind so that he can describe to us through the centuries what love is? Verse 4, the first thing he says is love is patient. And so in simple terms, patience is beautiful because it goes right to the core of what it means to love. Not love in the sense of a feeling that I have or that I can obtain that makes me feel good necessarily, but love in its truest, deepest sense, in its self-giving, other-directed, your good over mine sense. So patience is beautiful because it's at the core of love. Patience is hard, but patience is beautiful, powerful and possible. Number three, patience is powerful. It's powerful because it's actually, it's a tool in some senses. It's a, it's a powerful resource that God has given us. I want to 
put it to you that we need patience for two reasons. One, that it protects us, and two, that it empowers us. Patience protects us, because if we lose patience, we all know the alternatives are not good. Either we blow up, or we kind of get resentful towards people, towards God, or as a kind of means of protecting ourselves from those unpalatable options, we become a bit cynical maybe, a bit apathetic, We, we stop caring as much. I don't think any of us want to to lose our rag or to grow resentful or to become cynical. So we need the ability to be patient because it protects us. Secondly, it also empowers us. It gives us the power to be able to endure, to be able to endure the tough times. You know, think about it. When suffering comes, and as much as we in the modern West are doing everything we can to protect ourselves from it and are increasingly shocked by it, Suffering does and will come. And when it does, there are choices available to us. And this is not an exhaustive list, but some of the choices available to us are we, we can be kind of crushed by it, and I guess therefore made hopeless. We can be angered by it and, and made bitter. We can try and become immune to it, as I've said, and, and become apathetic. Essentially, in those situations, suffering has power over us. It, it kind of enslaves us. But Christianity says there is a way to bring suffering under our control. There's a way to harness it, as it were. Over and over again, Paul points out that a Christian with a healthy heart is someone who is able to be patient in tribulation. Romans 12, 12. Someone who's able to patiently endure sufferings. 2 Corinthians 1, 6. Who can even patiently endure evil. 2 Timothy 2, 24. Now hear me, patience is not passive. Really important that we understand that. It doesn't think, patience doesn't think injustice and sin is okay. It's not resignation. I'm not advocating that someone should stay in an abusive relationship, for example. Christian patience is active. It may very well include getting help, taking tough decisions, being connected to a church community that reflects the comfort and wisdom and protection of God to each other. So patience is not passivity and resignation, but it is power. It is power in suffering. Imagine four people, all of whom lose their job the same day. And one of them is, is crushed by it. They know despair. One of them is angered by it. They, they become bitter. One of them is just determined to prove everyone wrong. And they become very driven, possibly in an unhealthy sense. And one of them is patient. Not inactive, but active patience. Because there's a powerful resource available to a Christian who actively steps in to the goodness and promises of God within suffering circumstances. Someone who believes that God is still working all things for good. Romans 8.28 That he will complete all the good things he begins. Philippians 1.6 That we can trust him because our understanding is incomplete and inaccurate. Proverbs 3, 5 to 6. And that one day the resurrected living Jesus will return to complete his mission of renewing this earth with the perfection of heaven and doing away with all sorrow and evil. You see the resource that patience is, the power 
that it gives us to be able to endure, to, to be peaceful, not inactive and passive, but to be peaceful, not buffeted and shaken by the, even the worst of circumstances, but enduring, resolute, steadfast, peaceful, focused. Patience is power. At which point, if you're not thinking, I can't do this, then you should be. Because <laughs> this kind of patience seems like it's impossible. And yet I'm here to tell you that it is not. It is possible. It's not only hard, it's also patient. It's also beautiful, sorry. Not only hard, it's beautiful, powerful. And it is possible. Do you remember I, I told you about my holiday with my grandfather and the patience that he showed me whilst teaching me to fish? Well, at the end of our fishing holiday, we were driving back from the coast to Havana in Cuba to catch our flight home. And uh, I was driving... And we had to go a little bit old school, we didn't have much technology, so we just had our directions and the route back to Havana written on a piece of paper that I had written out and I placed it on the dashboard. It wasn't a particularly complicated route to get back, but having driven down the way there, I knew the signposts were pretty uh, erratic and so we needed these directions to get us back, there's no doubt about it. Um, now it's pretty hot, so the aircon was on, my grandfather Wanted to go old school another way. He thought, no, I can't. Let's have the windows down and, and kind of enjoy the fresh air coming through the car. So I said, well, OK, we can have the windows down, but, but just watch that piece of paper on the dashboard. Because if that, if that blows out, then we're in trouble. Uh, so he just grabbed it and held on to it. Fine, fair enough. And a few minutes later, he started telling a story, um, some story of yore. And he was getting pretty animated as he told this story, kind of gesturing with his arms, all the while holding my precious map. And I said, Grandfather, just, just be careful with that. We need that map. Yes, 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 he said. Anyway, a few minutes later, the story was reaching its kind of crescendo and, and he was gesturing more and more. And, and so keen was he to demonstrate that whatever he was talking about, that for a moment he just instinctively placed the map on the dashboard. And sure enough, as we tanked along at 70 miles an hour with the windows down, whoosh, the map shot out of the window. At which moment, I could feel significant impatience welling up inside of me. I felt like shouting at him. I knew you were going to do that. I warned you. How could you be so stupid? We're in the middle of Cuba now, on the deserted row with no idea how to get back. But to my surprise, I, I didn't say that. I just pulled the car over. I told him that it would be okay, that we would work out a way to get home, that we'd make a plan. And sure enough, in the end, we, we did actually get home uh, in, in fine state. Now, why was I able to do that? Because I'm just so naturally holy and good? No, it wasn't because of that. It certainly isn't because of that. It's because just as I was about to blurt out my intense frustration and impatience, an image popped into my mind. And it was the image of us on the river just a few days earlier, me flapping about with my fishing rod, getting tangled up in bushes, kicking over drinks, and him being so patient, so loving, patiently explaining, patiently listening, patiently fixing and correcting. You see, I was able to show my grandfather patience because he had demonstrated patience to me first. I encountered loving patience and it changed my heart a little bit. It changed the selfishness into a little bit of self-giving love. You see, that is how patience is not just beautiful and powerful, it's how it's possible. When we encounter 
that perfect patience of God. You see, God's big story written throughout the Bible is in some way a story of patience. From the moment at which Adam and Eve make a sinful choice to ignore God's loving command, and, and just as an aside, I think we know that every genuine relationship of love has to have choice. Otherwise, it's kind of just robotic and meaningless. And, and God wants a genuine, authentic love relationship with us. So he quite reasonably and rightly gives us choice. And Adam and Eve chose wrongly. And from that moment on, we see the patience of God written throughout the Bible. Not passivity or resignation or apathy towards sin and injustice. Not at all. God's holiness means he cannot turn a blind eye to it. And so he consistently brings loving correction over and over again within the context of active, loving patience. He shows patience so many times. Patient with Abraham over his doubts and crises of faith. Patience with Moses' angry outbursts. Patience even with David's violence and adultery. Patience with the people of Israel's continual rejection of him. The Old Testament prophet Joel captures the heart of God wonderfully when he says, speaking the words of God, he says, Rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. In other words, God's saying, it's your hearts I'm after, healthy hearts. Come back to me. I'm slow to anger, meaning I'm patient and abounding in steadfast love. And the whole story of the Bible, the whole of history, pivots on Jesus. In Jesus we see exactly what God is like. Not passive or resigned or afraid of confrontation. Not erratic or wild, but resolute and steadfast. Patiently loving people, drawing them to himself. Look at Jesus, patient with his enemies, patient with his friends, patient under false accusation, patient under intense suffering, patiently dealing with every aspect of sin and brokenness and shame and pain, patiently setting his face towards death, trusting that the Father would vindicate him and raise him back to life. The gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done on our behalf for us, you could describe the gospel like this. It's the good news that our selfishness, our impatience and the consequences of other people's impatience and selfishness towards us has been paid for and defeated by the patient love of God. A patience which continues for us each day. Some of us as Christians find it hard to uh, accept to receive the, the constant ongoing patience of God. Every time we get it wrong, every time we put self over others, every time impatience or anger flares up, every time we misrepresent God, every time in fact we are impatient with him, we are only met by a patient, smiling, loving, mighty God in response. So what are we saying? I'm saying it's possible to demonstrate self-giving, loving patience when we explore, when we encounter, and when we're empowered. It's possible when we explore the gospel afresh, for the first time or for a fresh time, and we discover that impatience, the gospel is the good news, that impatience has been defeated by the only perfectly patient one there is. And it's possible when we encounter the perfect patience of Jesus for ourselves. When we meet with 
his patience again and again. And it's possible when we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to go go forth and bear the fruit of patience, which he promises to do in us. When we've explored the gospel, we've encountered the person and presence of Jesus and being empowered by the Holy Spirit, then we can engage. We can engage with our kids and our spouses and our neighbourhood and our, and our workplace. We can engage with a hurting world and demonstrate radical, loving, Christ-exalting, other-preferring patience. Just as the, the band come up to help us go into this second time of, of worship and response, let me just close with one last story. One that many of you will know. One of Jesus' best and closest friends and followers was Peter. Peter was so committed, so confident that he was such a committed follower. He declared that he would die with Jesus if necessary. So committed and confident was he. And not long after, this same Peter was, was asked by a teenage girl, do you know Jesus? And Peter denied that he even knew him. And he ran away. And so a few days later, we can only imagine the shame which Peter was feeling when Jesus, after his death and resurrection, came to share a fish breakfast with him on the beach. What was Peter expecting, I wonder? He had claimed to be Jesus' most passionate advocate and follower, and when the pressure came on, he failed utterly. He had claimed love and belief in Jesus and then denied he even knew him and left him to suffer and die alone. And what was Jesus' response? Peter, you're a failure. You miserable failure. You you promised me and you let me down. Do you know what I went through? No, it's not what Jesus says. Jesus effectively says, and I'm paraphrasing, Jesus effectively says, have another go. (laughs) Come on, have another go, Peter. I'm, I'm not done with you. I love you. Do you love me? Yeah. Come have another go. Let's do this together. I'll, I'll empower you. I'll be with you. I'll never lose patience with you. Come and partner with me. And we're going to show people through the local church how much I love them. You see, Peter encountered radical, loving patience of Jesus himself. So is it any wonder that a few years later, as he was writing to some of these local churches, Peter in Second Peter said, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. Probably remembering the patience of Jesus that he encountered himself. He is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So how are we going to respond this morning? I want to put two possible ways to, I think for some people, your response this morning is simply about receiving the patience of God. For those of you who are Christian, it's about receiving afresh the patience of God. Some of us, I think subconsciously or consciously, we we get it wrong and we feel like God is kind of there just frowning at us in the morning. That he needs to be appeased or to be cheered up or get him back on side. It's not the nature of being in Christ, hidden in Christ. God just looks at you with a patient, loving, delighted smile. Receive afresh this morning the patience of God. He is not done with you. He does not lose patience with you. He is only delighted to continue to conform you to the image of Jesus and to partner with you in extending his kingdom. 
For some of you, you're, you're here exploring faith, and we're so glad that you are. There's, a, there's a, a loving, fatherly tone to what Peter expresses here. You've got the encourage, loving encouragement of the Father saying, I'm patient towards you. As you explore faith, as you decide what it is that you believe, as you seek to understand who I am, whether the claims of the gospel stand up. There's also a fatherly, loving warning as well in that sentence. God does not wish any to perish, but to come to repentance. The implications of Jesus' resurrection mean that we can trust his promises, including his promises to return to complete what his resurrection started, which is life renewing this earth, this earth being overlapped and perfected by heaven. And Jesus will do that one day. He will return. He'll bring a conclusion to this broken, groaning, creaking creation. And he will utterly renew it. He will do away with all evil, injustice and tears. And he will say to those who said to him, Jesus, thy will be done. I'm with you. He'll say to those, come, be with me in this heaven renewed earth forever. But to those who during their earthly lives have said, no, I don't want to accept you. I reject you. I'm living my way. Then Jesus will say to you, thy will be done. And you'll live apart, eternally apart from Jesus. It'll be an eternal, perishing experience. And so God is lovingly inviting you and warning you, I am patient. But there'll be a day when it will all come to conclusion. So respond to me now. Come, respond to him. Receive the patience of God for the first time. And know the joy and the wonder of friendship and relationship with him now and forever. For others of you, it's as a desire to show radical patience. How do you do that? I want to remind you, you do that by exploring the gospel afresh, continually looking at it from its different, beautiful, glittering angles like a diamond in this instance discovering that the gospel is the news that your impatience has been dealt with by the only perfectly patient one there is it's done secondly encountering the patience of jesus just as peter did just as thomas did when he doubted so much after jesus resurrection thirdly being empowered by the holy spirit who promises to bear the fruit of patience in you then engage engage with our world And you're able to show radical, Christ-exalting, other-preferring patience. Let me pray. Lord God, we thank you for all that you are and all that you've done. We thank you for your patience with humanity. Your desire to draw us into a loving relationship means you've given us choices. Choices that we've got wrong over and over and over again. And yet you've remained patient with us showing us exactly how patient you are in Jesus, drawing us to yourself. We pray that we would meet with your glorious, loving patience that communicates such value to us. And we would respond by welcoming the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit to demonstrate patience in all the areas of life you've called us to this week. We pray these things, Jesus, in your powerful name. Amen.